You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Dreams. You come to the most famous dream possibly in history in the 28th chapter of Genesis. Uh, Jacob's dream. You know it. You're familiar with it. Uh, Even those who are not in church and who don't read the Bible generally know a little something about the dream of Jacob. The question about dreams is this. We all have them, and we all wonder about them. What are they? Where do they come from? And what do they mean? Now, um, I'm going to get into it this way. Jiminy Cricket first sang it, but Linda Ronstadt uh, made it famous. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Now, several years uh, after Disney, Doris Day and Frank Sinatra were in a movie called Young at Heart. And the two of them sang this, dreams can come true, they can happen to you if you're young at heart. I don't know what that leaves the old, all all us old folks, but that's, dreams can come true if you're young at heart. Well, we all dream, some of you dream in color. How many of you dream in color? I do. Every dream, most all of us? Not everybody does, but uh, all of the smart, godly people do. See, (laughs) there you go. Uh, and there's always been this question, you know, what is a dream and what, what happens and, you know, why do you dream? I had a class in, in doctoral studies, literally, where our professor would make us get up in the night and write our dreams down on a, now this was in seminary when I was working on my doctor's degree. And uh, they'd make us get up and write this stuff down, and I never could figure out any of it anyway. There's several things about dreams. There are those Eskimos and those who inhabit the South uh, Pacific Islands believe, along with parapsychologists, believe that dreams are an out-of-body experience, that your soul leaves your body and goes and does what all these things in your dreams are doing. Uh, Then you have um, others. There are others that say that dreams are... Um, prophecy. They prophesy. They are prophetic in nature. The Egyptians believe that. In fact, if you go back, one of the earliest books ever written was written in the uh, 1400 years, 1400 years before the birth of Christ by the Egyptians, and it's called the Egyptians' Book of Dreams, where they would interpret all of these dreams. Then you come to modern psychology, and modern psychology, who is the head of modern psychology? Sigmund Freud said that your dreams are nothing but latent, unfulfilled, infantile desires. Now, why would, why would Freud say that? Because that represents his latent, unfulfilled, infantile desires, I guess. I don't know. And then modern science says that your dreams happen to be the way your brain repairs itself. So now you've got all of these things about dreams. What are they? I don't, I don't know. Now here's, here's a wrinkle to all of that. They say that all mammals dream. Um, have you ever seen a dog dream? 
Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but they say if you fold a newspaper and slip it under a dog's head when it's dreaming, and then take that and put it under your pillow when you go to sleep, you'll dream what that dog was dreaming. <laughs> now, Debbie loves, Debbie loves dogs, and we did that one night, and I found her at 12 o'clock one night with her head in the garbage can. So. <laughs> Chapter 28. All right, I've got your attention. So chapter 28, you come to this dream of Jacob. Now he's running from home. If you remember, uh, you're in that 28th chapter. Uh, Isaac calls him in, gives him the blessing, charges him and tells him now you've got to get out of here. He says, I don't want you to marry one of these wives of the Canaanite, one of these Canaanite women like your brother has done. You've got to go. And beyond that, you've got to get out of here because your brother's going to kill you. Uh, he was so furious. Esau was so furious about the birthright uh, that uh, Rebekah wanted him to leave because she was terrified that Esau would go and take his life in order to get the birthright back. So he's running. He's leaving, and uh, as he leaves, he's going to head toward a place called Haran. Now, I'll get to that in a few minutes. He's leaving Beersheba, and he's going to Haran. Uh, those of y'all who went to Israel with me this year, I took you to a place. Most groups never go here. It's a place called Tel Dan. It's where Jeroboam set up the golden calf and where the ten northern tribes worshiped the golden calf when they broke from, uh, when they took the ten tribes away from Israel, uh, from Judah. Well, in that area, you went to a gate called the Gate of Abraham. This was there when Jacob was leaving out of Israel, what we know as Canaan, Israel, and headed up into Syria to a place called Haran. He would have gone right through those gates there at Tel Dan. Well, it's about a 500-mile journey from Beersheba up to Haran. He's gone now about two days, and he's going to come to a unique place, a place that he's going to call Bethel, but was already called Bethel uh, by his grandfather, Abraham. Now, he's fleeing, I told you, because um, his brother is angry about the, the birthright that he had taken. Now, God was going to give it to Jacob anyway. You remember, if you go back, I shared with you that God spoke to Rebekah when she was asking about all of this trouble she was having with these twins in her pregnancy. And God told her that the elder will serve the younger. Now, he knew, they knew exactly what God was saying. They knew that God was saying that the younger boy would inherit uh, the birthright. Now, a part of that birthright is that you become the spiritual leader of the family. And it's through that lineage that Christ would come, through the one that would inherit the birthright. So it would come through Jacob and not through Esau. Messiah would come through Jacob and not through Esau. Now, I hope none of that is confusing. I hope you understand all of that. But Jacob was to get that birthright. Here's Isaac now. Isaac's going to do what Isaac wants to do. He's playing favorites in that family. Isaac literally makes that home a bad dream. Esau is a nightmare in and of himself. Rebecca hatches this dream. She has this dream of getting that birthright and giving it to Jacob so that Isaac can't give it to Esau. 
And Jacob now is going to live that that dream out of Rebekah, and he's actually going to deceive his dad in order to get that birthright. And now he's going to come to the place where he's going to have a dream all of his own, own in this uh, 28th chapter here. So what does all of this dreaming mean when you come to this chapter that you're very familiar? I want you to look at it. I'm going to show you two things uh, that I think is being said in this chapter tonight. And it all has to do with the presence of God. Every bit of this has to do with the presence of God. So look with me, and let me begin right there, and understand this, that the presence of God is not a dream. It's real. Uh, You know, we tend to think of dreams in the sense of they're not real, it's not reality. Well, I want you to understand that in this dream, God is saying to Jacob, my presence is more than a dream. My presence is real. I am with you. So let me, let me pick it up, beginning in verse 10 of uh, chapter 28. Jacob departed from Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. I've already talked to you about that. And he came to a certain place, and he spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones, and he placed it under his head, and he lay down in that place. Now here is Jacob, and that night, this boy has the earth as his bed and a rock as his pillow. And it's a, I'm not saying this to be funny, he finds himself between a rock and a hard place. He is literally between a rock and a hard place. And he's in that position because he deceived his father. He was a part of this whole thing of manipulating his father, deceiving his father, and carrying out this greed instead of waiting on God to do uh, what God was going to do, and that is to give him that birthright. Rebecca was not going to wait on God to do it. She was, gonna, she, she was going to try to do God's will, but she was going to do it her way. Isaac was determined he wasn't going to follow God's will at all. Here was a father who just was completely out of God's will. He knew what what God's will was. Now watch this. Isaac was a man who knew God, who had received the promise of God, but he'd come to the place in his life where he wanted to do what he wanted to do and not what God wanted to do. So he was going to take that birthright and give it to Esau, although God had made it clear what he was supposed to do. Rebecca knows this because God said it to him, And so she's going to try to do God's will her way. And when you try to do God's will your way, you never have God's blessing. God's will must be done God's way. Well, Jacob participates in it because he wants it. And because of all of this mess up now, the whole family's dysfunctional. The whole family's messed up. And Jacob's got to leave. He's got to get out of there. So he's on the run, and he's going to this place, and here he is in this place by himself. Now, I don't have any doubt that he's not lonely, that he's not homesick, and that he's not afraid, that he's fearful. He's got a crazy elder brother. He was born first. Esau was born first. He's got a crazy elder brother who has a violent temper, and you don't know what he's going to do. So he gets there, and he has this dream. He lies down, and he goes to sleep, and he has the dream. Verse 12, and he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on earth, and the top of it reached up into the heavens. 
Now, let me just tell you, that's the only place this word appears in Scripture, ladder. It's nowhere else. And it doesn't mean a ladder in the sense that, you know, we go down to Lowe's and we buy a ladder. It's not that kind of ladder. It's a ziggurat. It's, it's like a pyramid, and in the middle of the pyramid, you've got these steps that go all the way up uh, to the top. So kind of think of a big structure with the steps that are in the middle of it and coming, uh, ascending up from the earth are angels and descending down from heaven are these angels. Now that's his dream. And at the very top of it, if you look here, you see, and behold, verse 13, the Lord stood above it. Now understand it in this way. He doesn't stand above it in the sense that he is above it all. He stands above it in the sense that he is the authority over all. Now, that's the way you need to understand it, that he is sovereign authority over everything. Not that he's just at the top of this ladder, but that he is God and he is over everything. And so now he's going to speak in this dream to Jacob. And he's going to say four things. He's going to promise him four things here that I want you to notice. In verse 13, he's going to promise him his blessing. God says, I'm going to promise you my blessing. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Now there's his blessing. I'm going to bless you in this way. I'm going to bless you with this land. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to bless you with descendants. Now, just kind of get in your mind right here that this is the son of a very wealthy man. This is is Ron Gates. You know who Ron Gates is? That's the son of Bill Gates. That's like the son of Bill Gates out on the street of Portland, Oregon, sleeping on the street. Now, that's what you've got. Uh, He came from great wealth. Abraham was an extremely wealthy man. Uh, Isaac was an extremely wealthy man. In fact, they were so wealthy that nations feared them. That's that's kind of mind-boggling, but it's true. Uh, you remember Abimelech comes and he says, you're, you're too much. You have too much. You're too, you're too wealthy for us. You've got to leave our land. They were literally fearful of Abraham and Isaac because of all of their wealth. Now, this boy comes from that, and what is he doing? He's out here sleeping on the ground. He's got the ground for a bed. He's, he's got a, a rock for his, pillar, for his pillar, and now God comes and he says, listen, The land that you're sleeping on, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to have children. In other words, I'm going to come and I'm going to bless you. Now, Jacob, having inherited the blessing, would have inherited everything that Isaac had, but here he is and he doesn't have a dime. He doesn't have a thing. That's the contrast here. That's the interesting thing in this passage to me is that here he is and he's without anything before he had it all, but he didn't have God. Now he has nothing 
and God's speaking to him. Now, let me tell you something. You may have it all and not God, and ultimately you have nothing. Or you may have nothing, but you have God. So let me tell you what you've got. You've got everything. Now, you need to see that in what's being said here. The second thing is this. The second promise is, I'm going to honor you. Now, this is kind of fascinating to me, too. Your descendants, verse 14, will be like the dust of the earth. You'll spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, that is a prophetic statement concerning the coming of the Messiah. Because that's, that's how all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Jacob. It's the same thing God had said to Abraham, same thing that God had said to Isaac. Now he comes and he says the same thing to him. Now, you know, I've thought about this a lot about Esau and about Jacob. Esau completely wanted nothing to do with God. And though Jacob didn't seem to be very spiritual, he would at least... He was at least interested. He wanted the birthright. Esau could have cared less about it. He wanted the inheritance. The inheritance and the birthright are two different things, but they're bound up together. He wanted the birthright. Remember, if you go back, Jacob got the birthright from Esau. There was something about Jacob that had a spiritual hunger in his life. So that's why God looks at Jacob and he says, I'm going to honor that. Now watch what he says right here. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, do you get the irony to that? Jacob is the guy who steals blessings. And God comes and he says, I'm going to so work in your life that instead of stealing blessings... I'm going to pass blessings through you. Y'all just sit there. But now that's a, good, that's a good thought. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. God blesses your life. Why? So you can run down to the bank? No. God blesses your life so that through you, he can pass blessings on to others. Well, number three. Uh, there was a promise to bring him back to this land. Look at verse 15. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. Now here it is, and will bring you back to this land. I'm going to bring you back here. Now in that, God is promising him protection. He's running away. He's running away from a brother who, if he could get his hands on him, would kill him. So what is God saying to Jacob right here other than that? I think about this from time to time when I get on a plane to go somewhere. I think if God would just tell me, hey, listen, you're, you're going to see your grandchildren's grandchildren. I wouldn't worry what kind of turbulence that plane hit. It wouldn't bother me a bit in the world. But now listen, that's what he's saying to him here. He's saying, don't fear Esau chasing you. Don't fear what's going to happen in your life because down in the future, I'm going to bring you back to this place. Do you say that's so good? I'm going to just take care. I'm going to protect you because down the road in the future, I'm going to bring you back here to this place. That's going to be about 20 years. But he says, I'm going to get you back here. The fourth thing is this, is he promises him his presence. 
Now, to me, this is the neatest thing of all. I am with you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, here is Jacob. Now, think about this. Abraham, as I said, was a wealthy man. You remember, he had enough um, shepherds that he could make an army, and he went out and defeated the five armies of the plains. Isaac inherited all of that. It has grown tremendously. Jacob grew up in the camp of Isaac where there were servants and there were shepherds and there were herdsmen. People were coming and going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There was always something happening in the camp of Isaac. People were everywhere. People were there to tend to their needs. This boy is all alone now. He's all by himself. Nobody's around. He's never been away from home before. He's never been totally alone like this before. And he is lonely, I am sure. And God speaks to him and he says, what you need to know is this, is that you are not by yourself. You are not alone. I'm with you. I'm there. And beyond that, you need to understand this. I am going to go with you wherever you go. Do you see that verse 15? I'm going to keep you wherever you go, and I will not leave you until I have accomplished in you everything that I've promised to do. Now, do you realize that's God's promise to you? Do you understand that's what Jesus said to the disciples? And in saying that to the disciples, he was saying it to all of us. That I'm not going to leave you. I know exactly where you are and exactly what's going on. I can't be there in that emergency room with little Levi right now. But God is there. He is there. He comforts. He watches over. We have prayed just as Barry was praying, I prayed with Deborah, and we prayed, and we put that little boy in God's hands, and I am absolutely confident that whatever happens will have to first pass through the hands of God. See? Well, he's alone, he's lonely, and he's in an unusual place. And God is there. God's presence is not just a dream. It is reality. He's with us. He's here. Now let me give you the second thing. And the second thing is this. The second thing is that God's promises are not just dreams. Even when God's promises are deferred. Now, let me show you something interested in this. He's going to name this place the house of God, which is uh, Bethel. Back in chapter 12, verse 8 of Genesis, Abraham has already been there. Abraham's already been in this place. Abraham built an altar there. Abraham called on the name of the Lord there. Now, here's an interesting thing. I guess I'm thinking about this because of this grand boy. I almost wonder 
if the stone upon which Jacob laid his head had not been part of the stones that Abraham used to build that altar in Bethel. Which says to me what a grandfather does in leaving stones behind him will one day impact grandchildren. Now, what kind of stones am I leaving for my grandchildren? And my kids are already grown. I can't do anything with them anymore. But now, but now my grandchildren, what kind of stones am I leaving my grandchildren? What kind of things am I leaving for them? Because they will at some point one day pick up a stone I've left behind and they will use that to build part of their life with. So Abraham left an altar there. Isn't it interesting that in the very place where Abraham, when he came out of Egypt and he got back in the will of God and he built an altar and the Bible says, and he called on the name of the Lord there, that in that very place where Abraham had done that, now his grandson is doing that. Jacob is doing it there. Now, Jacob is going to have 20 very difficult years. Now, let me ask you something. Is it possible to trust God? Is it possible to put your faith and your trust in God and then go through an extended period of time where you wonder, where in the world is God? Where, where, what is God doing here? God spoke to me. God gave me his word. God said all of these things. But where in the world is God right now? And what in the world is God doing? Well, listen, Jacob is going to go through 20 years. He's had this encounter with God at Bethel, and he's going to go through 20 years. You know what's going to happen to his life? Is that the next 20 years, God is going to beat the deceit out of him is what he's going to do. He's going to take Jacob, and he's going to put Jacob with a bigger con artist than Jacob himself is. And he's going to say, Jacob, I just want you to experience now for the next 20 years, just experience what a real con artist is like. And you're going to have a taste of what your life could be like if you don't give your life completely to me. So Jacob's going to go through that. Now listen, don't ever mistake God's silence is God's inactivity. There are times when God just doesn't say anything. There are times when you want God to say something and you want God, but, and you can't see it and you can't hear it. Don't ever mistake that God's not doing something and that God's not there. It's in those moments. Listen, let me, let me just tell you this, and I don't know why God's put this on my heart right now to say, in the moments when Jesus Christ was dying on a cross at Calvary, what was he doing? He was calling out to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ understood calling on the Father and not getting a word back. But what was God doing at that moment? The greatest work God would ever do, he was redeeming the world back to himself. In the middle of the silence, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the hurt, listen, 
in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your pain, when God doesn't answer you, it is at that time God is doing his most significant work. Well, he's going to have, he's going to, it's going to be fun watching it. We'll go through it. It'll be fun watching. Isn't it always fun watching somebody else get, get it? It's just no fun when I have to go through it myself. Well, here they are. He, um, he comes to this place where he's going to say, God, what, what's going on? You, you gave me the dream. You gave me a promise. I thought your promise was real. I thought you would fulfill all of this. Langston Hughes is the great African-American poet. Uh, he's dead now. He wrote great poetry. He was, he's really one of the first great African-American poets that anybody recognized. And he wrote about the interesting thing about dreams deferred. When your dreams don't come true, listen to what he said. What happens to dreams deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Do y'all remember, did y'all ever see that movie, A Raisin in the Sun? If not, I just won't even talk about it. Okay. Well, you ought to see it. Sidney Poitier's in it. It's a great movie. And it comes, they take the title from, from uh, the poem of Langston Hughes. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust over and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it just explode? What happens when God gives you a dream and that dream doesn't come true? What happens when God gives you a dream but it doesn't seem to come to pass? Now, I'm going to give you a number of things, and I'm going to start listing off some things here. Let me give you a couple of principles here. Understand this. First of all, realize that some of God's greatest men prayed for things that God never gave them in their lifetime. Moses. He didn't get into the promised land until he met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He never got into it in this life. Wanted to go there, but never got into the promised land. Abraham. Abraham never owned one square foot of the promised land that God promised him, except the cave of Machpelah where he buried Sarah. That's the only piece of the land he owned. God had promised, I'm going to give you all of this. God didn't give it to him in his lifetime. God said, it's coming. Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was accused of treason. Of all people, Jeremiah was accused of treason by his own people. He was vindicated, but he was dead by that time. He was never vindicated in his own lifetime. What about David? I read about this. I was thinking about this with David, and I, I turned back to the passage in 1 Samuel, do you remember when David said, I want to build the Lord a house? And Nathan the prophet said, go and do what is in your heart. The interesting thing is this. God didn't come to David. God came to Nathan the prophet and said, you got to go tell David he can't do it. And you know what? David didn't get mad. You know what he did? He just raised all the money for it. Uh, there was Paul. Uh, when we were in Spain uh, about a month ago now, when we were in Spain, uh, I took off one day and I got my wife to go. I said, I want to go down here to Tarragona, Spain. 
Tarragona, Spain is where they say, if Paul, some theologians believe, some New Testament scholars believe that Paul got to Spain. I don't, I don't know. The New Testament doesn't really give us any indication, but uh, they say that Paul landed at Tarragona and it was there that he planted a church in Spain. I don't know. I know he wanted to go. I have nothing in the Bible that tells me he got there. Now listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and, had, and wanted to hear what you hear but did not hear it. As the people of God, we have to learn that we don't always get everything we pray for. Why? That's part of the mystery of God. And we have to stay committed and love and serve the Lord anyway because I want to tell you why, ultimately, in the end, God knows better than we do. I've had the rare and unique opportunity to uh, know some unusual men in my day. I had the opportunity and privilege to be Dr. Graham's pastor for seven years. Had the opportunity to know and get to know personally Dr. Criswell and to bury him. Um, I've had the privilege to know Charles Ryrie and be very close and travel to Israel and Greece and then to do his funeral. I've had a, I don't know why God's been so good to me, why God's given me the opportunities that I've had. But do you know, as I, I talk to those men, not all of those men got what they prayed for. Not all of those men saw all of their dreams fulfilled. And I can't explain that, but I can tell you this, God's promises are not dreams. They're real. And though Abraham didn't get it, and Isaac didn't get it, and Jacob got closer to it, but he didn't get it, his great, great, great grandchildren did. And God kept his promise. Well, um, that's kind of interesting. You know, I can say something about the church here in that sense. You know, when this church started, I don't know all of the ones who started this church, but I can tell you this, God's got a work to do that will outlive our lifetime. Now, I've had the privilege to get to know Dr. Moore, Dr. Paul Moore, who was the second pastor of this church. In fact, Debbie and I have had the opportunity to visit with them in the hospital when he's sick. They, we, I've, we've had the chance to minister to him. Wonderful folks. Love them. Um, next week, I think it's next week, Rich is going to, we're going to go and I'm going to have breakfast with Dr. Kelly. I'll get the chance to meet him. Uh, Jason, I know, have talked to him. Um, and in fact, I've asked Jason, I said, sometime this coming year, I want to have you back to preach. Uh, let, me, let me figure out how we can do a good Sunday and, and have him back. Listen, God used all of those men and other men in the life of this church. But let me tell you what, they did not exhaust the work of God at Valleydale. I need my wooden pulpit up here. They did not exhaust the work of God. 
There is work yet to do. And if I'm here for the next 50 years and die and Jesus hadn't come back, there will still be great work for this church to do. We won't all see it in our lifetime. We won't exhaust the work of God in our lifetime. So we need to understand something. God has this church here as a launch pad for ministry and missions. You need to see this church as a launch pad for ministry and missions. It's not a lily pad for us to sit on until we croak. <laughs> Let me give you the second thing about dreams deferred. God often defers dreams so that we'll understand who is the source of the dream? Who is the source of the plan? Um, sometimes we don't ever understand, you know, this must be my idea. This must be Mac's concept. This must be the staff's idea. This must be, listen, if it is a dream or a plan of God, it's his. We sometimes don't ever see that. We get it confused. We get it mixed up. So let me give you a couple of things about that. If God gives the dream, it is his possession. It is not ours. Number two, if it's God's, then it is up to God to fulfill it. When, where, how, and with whom he pleases. This is God's plan here, this church. This isn't my plan. This isn't your plan. This wasn't Dr. Kelly's plan or Dr. Moore's plan or somebody beyond them, their plan. This is God's plan right here. It belongs to him. It's his plan. So it's his possession and it's up to him to do the fulfilling of it. Number three, a dream is often deferred to give us the opportunity to understand the joy of God's presence. Now, where does the joy come from? Um, I've thought about this. Is it, is it in, you know, here's the thing. Is it in the destination or is it in the journey? We had a, we had a great 10 days off with each other. We'd planned it. We'd been to these places before and we wanted to go back. And so, you know, there was a lot of fun in planning the trip. And then when we landed and we got there, it was a lot of fun being there. But let me tell you, the joy didn't come in planning the trip, and the joy didn't come in the destination. You know where the joy was? Being with that good-looking woman right there. That's where the joy was. Now, that's, that's what I'm saying. Where is the joy here? It is in the presence of God. The jo Listen, the joy is God's presence here. If you don't learn to have joy in the presence of God, you're not going to have joy. Nothing's going to make you happy. There'll be no joy. So it's, it's the joy is the relationship. The joy is also God's doing his work in us. As I shared with you, he's got to go through 20 years now but let me tell you, he could find joy in that because God was doing a work in Jacob. The third part of that is this. Joy comes in being obedient to God's will. It's in being obedient to his total will. You will be miserable 
if you're obedient to half of what God tells you to do. You will be miserable doing nine-tenths of what God calls you to do. The joy comes when you're fully obedient to God. Now, let me give you the fourth thing, and the fourth thing is this, is that when God gives you a dream, carry out the dream, but don't trust the dream. Trust God. Don't trust the plan. Trust God. God gives you a plan for your life. Don't trust the plan. Trust the God who gave you the plan. For the next 20 years, I think Jacob is going to trust the plan, and he misses all the joy of being in the presence of God. He's going to answer God, and he's going to get back in the will of God at the end of 20 years. But he trusts the plan, and he's not thinking about God. Listen, trust God. Work the plan. Okay. Any questions? I'm going to give you one last thing that I just, now this is free. Church is over. If you want to just walk out, walk out. But I'm going to, you know, it's because I just, I just did this with my other grandkids. Y'all know who Doc Graham was? You remember Doc Graham? Did you ever see Field of Dreams? Okay, you, remember, you ought to remember Doc Graham. He was a real guy. He was, bo- he was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where, where my best friend was born from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and pastored there. He was born there. His, in fact, Doc Graham's Moonlight Graham. Maybe you know him, Moonlight Graham. He, his brother became president of the University of North Carolina. But in 19, was it 55? No, it couldn't be right. Sometime in the 1930s, 20s or 30s, he went up to the Giants. He was on a B team, farm team, we would say. They called him up to the A team, to the Giants. He played one half of an inning. One half of an inning in the outfield. Never caught a ball. Never got to bat. He was next up at bat, and the guy in front of him struck out. One half of an inning in his whole baseball career was basically over. He left that, and he said, I didn't have the heart to really go back to the farm teams. He says, I really hung my cleats up at that. And he played a little bit here, there, and yonder after that. But he went into medicine. He became a doctor. Now, if you remember the movie, Field of Dreams, The conversation between Ray and Doc Graham was this. He said, what was it like to get so close to your dream? Because Ray thought that his dream was baseball. He said, what was it like? What's it like? And he said, it was like getting that, that close, but he said, it's like a stranger passing you in a crowd. And Ray said, most men couldn't handle that. Most men couldn't get that close to their dream, and then it just goes away. And Doc Graham looked at him, and he said, no, what would be sad would have been to have been a doctor for a half an inning. you got to know what your dream is. 
And as I was sharing with my grandchildren this a little bit ago, I said, the moral of that is this. Follow God's gifting in your life. Let your passions follow the gifting of God. Don't let your gifts try to follow your passions. Because you may have a passion. I, had a, I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to be a baseball. I wanted to play baseball. I had no talent to play baseball. That was a passion. I had gifts in something else. I had a gift to preach and teach. So I played pickup ball, and I followed God's gifting, and I let my passions follow my gifts and not my gifts, my passions. you got to figure out in your life, what is that dream? What is that plan that God has for you? You see? I hope I didn't mess you all up tonight. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Anyway, find God's plan, his gift. Let those passions follow. Einstein wanted to play the violin. He didn't want to do physics. He wanted to play the violin. But he had enough sense to go into physics and to pick up the violin and play with it a little on the side. Okay? (laughs) All right. Any questions? Father, thank you for being the kind of God um, whose presence is always real. And always near, regardless of our emotions, regardless of how we feel, we can go to your word and your word tells us that you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. I pray for that person tonight that needs to hear that in Jesus name. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.